Welcome to Lingerie Lowdown, the podcast, your weekly opportunity to tune in and listen to the best review team online, taking time out to chat with you and each other about all topics in the world of lingerie, hosiery, and much more. Enjoy today's episode. and a big warm welcome to the Lingerie Lowdown podcast. My name is Dolly, aka Bad Dolly, aka the Queen of Pyjamas, and you are joining me today to have a lovely chat all about pin-up girls. How wonderful. It's a very cold, frosty day in England, so I'm wrapped up very suitably in my Betty Page pyjamas, which I thought was very fitting because not only am I the queen of pyjamas, we're also talking about pin-up girls. So what a better way to start than with some lovely, silky Betty Page pyjamas. And if you didn't see me review those, I definitely recommend giving it a watch when it's out because they are stunning. So enough about me. Today, we're going to be talking all about pin-up girls all the different types, what they did for women in history, what sort of underwear they wore, and wherever else I decide to go with the topic. Yay! I'm a huge, huge fan of pin-up girls, um, from the vintage ones right through to modern day. So I'm really excited to be able to uh, talk about some facts and some lesser known things about pin-up girls, and of course, who all of our favourites are. So just to mention a few names, um, that are huge in the pinup industry. Betty Page is my favourite pinup model ever, closely followed by Marilyn. But we've also got Betty Grable, very well known. Uh, Veronica Lake, Jane Mansfield, so cute. Uh, a lot of drag queens base themselves on Jane's Ma- Jane Mansfield. Um, we've got Dorothy Dandridge, Dita Von Tees, of course, a modern day pinup. Joan Crawford, she was a classic. Um, and so, so many more that I'm going to tell you all about. So, first off, I'm going to start by reading you the Wikipedia description of a pinup because, um, I mean, I could ramble on about what I think it is, but I think Wikipedia are going to have it nice and concise. I'm sure you've all heard of pinup girls, but if anyone listening isn't 100% sure what classifies one, here we go from the mouth of Wiki. A pinup model is a model whose mass-produced pictures see widespread appeal as part of popular culture. Pin-up models were variously glamour models, fashion models or actresses. Pin-ups are intended for informal display, i.e. meant to be pinned up on a wall, which is the basis for the etymology of the phrase. So that's where that comes from, pin it up. Very similar to calendar girls as well, because they often were in the calendars. So I love pin-ups because I think they show women in a sexualised light, but they don't objectify them more than they want to be and I think as well with pinups there's such a wide range of pinup models it's not um a generic look I mean it might be a generic fashion you might think of polka dot bikinis and things like that that's just the 50s style but the figures the shapes and sizes and the facial features and even the haircuts things like that were really different from model to model which is one of the reasons that I absolutely love pinups so I'm going to talk you through uh, lots of different types of pinups, starting with where they began um, and coming right through to modern day. I'm going to have a little bit of help from a website called Bust, which is all about pinups and has written it in a much nicer way than I could. Um, and I've also learned so much by researching for this. I really didn't realise um, just how influential pinups were. 
So here we are, the history of pin-up girls. Are you sat tight with a cup of tea and preferably some pyjamas? Good, then we shall begin. Innocent but erotic, cheesy as hell and yet still oozing sex appeal. It's truly an irrefutable fact that pin-up girls have one twisted tightrope to walk. But how did we get this icon saliciously safe female sexuality? A figure that's somehow suitable for the side of weapons, twee ironic tattoos and more boudoir shoots than you can shake a stick at. Well, my friend, let's start at the very beginning with the mother of all pinups, who is the Gibson girl. Now, anyone listening, if you don't know the Gibson girl, you need to look her up because she... Um, well, I suppose at the time she was meant to be like the ideal woman, but she's really become an icon. Drawn lavishly, the Gibson girl represented a woman that could be imitated but couldn't actually exist. She had sizable breasts but an itty-bitty waist, a swan-like neck that was dangerously close to being biologically impossible, masses of dark hair piled precariously atop her head, miraculously inoperable to sweat, rain and general disaster. So pretty much she was the sort of uh, late 1800s version of Barbie. She was almost like what every woman wanted to be. So she was around in the late 1800s, so a long time before um, Marilyn and the ones that you might think of when you when pinups come to your head. But she was meant to be um, a mix of what every woman should be, you know. She was exciting, she was adventurous, but she also did exactly what she was told because it was the 1800s. <laughs> what brought the Gibson girl to life was that she had a clear personality. She was a new woman, self-assured, put together, sensual and intelligent all at once. She wanted independence, but not too much independence because in those days, girls weren't, weren't allowed the vote, right? So, you know, she um, was always seem to be doing things that are exciting and new but you kind of got the uh the idea that if someone told her not to she would uh, obey she was a very malleable pin-up model a gibson man was created to go with the gibson girl but much like ken to barbie nobody really cared it was the impossible woman they wanted to pin all over the walls and not her random boyfriend isn't that so true every time a female figure gets popular people think oh let's give her a male sidekick and the thing is you know the whole phrase, uh, sex sells? Well, it really does, and it sells to women as well. I'm more likely to buy something with a picture of a naked lady on it, not a naked man. Um, and, yeah, so is a male. So uh, pin-up girls just became so important, and then obviously are really, really closely tied in with advertising as well. Soon there was a Gibson girl boom with her face appearing all over magazine and newspapers, quickly becoming the ideal standard for American beauty. Women dommed Gibson girl hairdos along with the S-bend courses which simultaneously pushed out boobs, nipped in the waist and pulled the wearers back forward, allowing that classic Gibson girl bum to tit ratio. But an outbreak of World War I saw the demise of the Gibson girl. No more women would obligingly get that Gibson girl figure by donning an S-band corset. You see, women had things to do, countries to keep running, and they kind of needed working spines for that. <laughs> so they unlaced their corsets, they stepped up, wearing more practical masculine clothing than ever before. A trend that was immediately sexualised for propaganda, of course. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, picture all those um, posters uh, of the women in their um, big overalls and their dresses made of parachutes that are, you know, helping fix the roads and sew children's clothes out of wheat sacks and things like that. They are all very sexualised in their drawing. They've all got arched backs, pointed toes, um... And yeah, it just became a bit of a cult figure, which I personally think is 
um, a really important part of um, women's history, actually, because that's just about when we stopped just being the Gibson girl and we um, started proving ourselves as well. So that was a time for me that the pin-up uh, became more important than ever because not only was it helping troops get through war, it was also showing that we can do a lot more. We can, um, you know, tense our biceps too and have photos taken like that. So it wasn't just women on beaches anymore lounging around. Uh, they were driving tanks in a sexy way and doing all these new and exciting things, which I think was really brilliant for women all round. Uh, so, by the 1930s, a more typical version of the classic pinup was starting to appear, but it was the pretty girl that would take to her stratospheric levels of fame. That's a good word, isn't it? So, um, petty girl. I haven't even heard of petty girl. I'm looking at her now. I don't think she's as good as um, the Gibson girl, but fair enough. Do look her up if you haven't seen her. She's very curvy. George Petty had been airbrushing and illustrating for years, mainly for cheese-tastic sexed-up adverts and calendars. But in 1933, he joined fledgling magazine Esquire and became an immediate hit. Placed slap-bang on a double page in the middle of the magazine, Petty's drawings coined the term centrefold, and they were torn out, given a prime real estate on walls and lockers all around America. So that's another thing, when you could take the posters out. See, I grew up in the 90s, and again, I would say they were, they were pin-up girls. They were a modern version of a pin-up girl. They might not be um, pretending their dress was caught on a broomstick, but they were in bands or models or whatever. And in my Smash Hits magazine and Miz the middle page would be a pull-out poster for your wall. And again, if you looked at my wall in the 90s, I would say there were plenty more women pinned up on my wall than there were men. Um, and I think, yeah, it's very important for ladies. So a petty girl was the... Cl I think that's horrible, petty girl. It sounds really um, sort of unsubservient, doesn't it? A petty girl was the classic all-American girl next door, just really sexed up. She was lithe but curvy with elongated limbs that made her legs go on for days. But what really made the petty girl a phenomenon was, the, uh, was that Esquire readers could place her into their worlds. She was posed in idealised everyday scenarios, from chatting on the phone to celebrating seasonal holidays and even integrating herself into what then were typically male jobs. Soon petty girls weren't just on walls. They were adopted by soldiers looking for a slice of comforting similarity as they headed to war. It was easy to transpose a childhood sweetheart or crush onto the perfect petty girl. After all, that was the whole point of their design. And just like that, pinups went from book to bomber. And now we're going to get into the what I think is the most exciting era of pinups, which is the 40s and 50s. This is the era where women were told they could do it for themselves. In fact, we didn't even have to wait for a man to tell us we could do it for ourselves. We just started doing it. And this is where you see a huge shift. As I said earlier, it's not just swimwear and hosiery. Um, we're now going into uniforms in the workplace, um, all those sort of exciting things that mean so much more than posters. They, well, it was revolutionary for women and women's rights. By the 1940s and 50s, pinup was everywhere. Petty style drawings were used to sell both magazines to men and everything, fashion, homeware, films to women. MGM even made a film about the drawings, imaginatively titled Petty Girl, which is still available on the internet if you want to watch that. With such success came a ton of viral artists, all with a slightly different take on what would make the perfect imaginary woman. So next we're going into Jill Elvgren, who... I think he is very important in the 
what we would call the cheesecake style. You know, the really uh, popping the heel, holding a big Valentine's Day um, heart, those sort of things. That was, maybe Gil, would we say Gil? G-I-L, I'm going to say Gil, I think it, mm, Gilbert. Yeah, I'm going with Gil for pronunciation, but you could probably Google him if you wanted. So, Gil Elvgren, are you ready? Gil stepped up George Petty's knack for the everyday, placing models in even more average scenarios. Are you listening to what his average scenarios are, guys? Cooking, decorating, and hanging out the washing. Um, Housewife, let's just... (laughs) Really (laughs) exciting scenarios there. Cooking, decorating, and washing up. Wow. Uh, So we've taken the women out of the tanks now, and we've put them in the garden. But that's fine. Don't worry, guys. They're going back. Yet he made these humdrum scenes both implausible and accessible by setting his pin-up girl styles in his pin-up girls as cutesy girl children sex kittens, basically the phototype for any modern rom-com lead. Sure, she was coyly flashing her underwear, but only because the poor lamb had accidentally tripped. That is such a good way of wording it. So I'm not really a massive fan of those ones where it's always like um, the poor girl next door has got her heels stuck in the drain and is flashing a bosom because of it. They're my less preferred. They're still very classic cheesecake style. Like, oops, I spilt the milk and then my boob fell out. Um, still really important, but uh, not quite as revolutionary as what was to come. Uh, as well as his cheesecake pin-up style, Jill, Gil, Jill, oh, I don't know about that, was known for his masterful and slightly manical manipulation of the female form. He'd have models pose for pin-up photos, then set his pencil to work, nipping, tucking and enlarging certain key assets until he found the perfect fantasy. If you don't think you could picture one of his pictures in your head, think of, the, this is a really classic one, very hard to try and describe in a podcast. So there's a girl on the floor lying on her back with her legs straight up in the air on the phone. That sums him up that was all his girls were in those really impossible poses really twisted their spines were facing a different way and they usually had something yeah like a phone or a notebook or some poker chips or something like that i hope that um very random explanation has given you something to imagine in your mind um but it wasn't just men that were into pinups women were a key audience for the pinup fantasy and they were vital in its evolution that's what we like woman power Enjoying the conversations today? Well, we wanted to take a short break to tell you more about our website. Are you looking to treat a loved one or yourself to some new lingerie or hosiery and don't know where to start? Let the most diverse team of presenters from across the globe introduce you to more than 400 brands as we publish new and exclusive reviews every day. In fact, we have over 4,000 reviews available online right now. And you can join us from only $7.99 a month. However, we want to treat you to something a little special for listening to our podcast today. Use the promo code PODCAST when buying a 3, 6 or 12 month membership and we'll give you an extra 10% off the purchase price. Best of all, there's no time limit with this code so you can keep using it when you renew your membership. Please note, this is not applicable to the monthly membership. So after listening to the rest of this podcast, head on over to lingerielowdown.com forward slash join and use the promo code podcast today. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the podcast. So next we're going on to Zoe Mozart, uh, which is a lady. Yay, a lady started painting pinups. How exciting. 
Zoe made her mark by creating pin-up illustrations that veered much closer to reality than her male peers work. Oh, how funny is that? Sure, these painted ladies were still very much in the realm of make-believe, but Zoe worked to have them look like actual women. Tiny waists are great and all, but not when they're so teeny tiny that women need to find somewhere to keep new stuff, like their organs. <laughs> so true, so true. So here we are going into the era where they look a little bit more like women, but... um. You'll know Zoe Mozart as well. I won't give you another description. So let's say um, a more sort of playboy painted style. Uh, think your strapless uh, bando swimming costumes, things like that. Um, it seemed like Zoe was onto something. Her realistic approach was selling like hotcakes from adverts to posters and men's calendars. But there was a problem. Now the public wanted real women. Photography was the order of the day. By the late 50s, the likes of Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell were decorating walls and pin-up started to die out. Well, yes, it did, but it didn't as well. So uh, pin-up drawings started to die out because it was easy and cheap to get photos. There were models that were happy to do it, happy to pose. Um, people started making a name for themselves, like um, Betty Page and those sort of people, real people that had personalities and did things. And people felt they could relate to them more. They were also a lot easier to make money because... You could stick uh, Marilyn Monroe holding the product or Betty Page wearing the scarf or whatever. So the industry was, you know, really booming at the time. But I think it didn't mean it was the end of the pinup. I think it meant there was a big transition because it now went into photos and, um, you know, coffee table books and things like that. Pretty soon it was the 60s and imagined illustrations just couldn't compete with the likes of Playboy, whose mix of illicit images and... <coughs> articles had taken America into a new age of sexual fantasy. But yet the pinup could not be destroyed. Destroyed. The classic Petty Mozart and Ev Green style of pinup is very much back in. It's labelled now as vintage and the, oh yeah that's such a good way of putting it. So vintage pinup. That was the what was the end of that? That was kind of the end of the girls lying on the floor with their legs in the air in really strange positions. Um it's labelled as vintage and classy alternative to today's more intense female gaze. You can see its traces in everything from Virgin Airlines branding to cutesy advertising and of course every time a bridesmaid has worn victory rolls and a halter neck to a vintage wedding. So that is a pretty much a really good summary of three of the most famous uh, illustrators of pinup. So most of the models that I mentioned to you earlier are real people, but I thought it was very, very important to mention um, where it all started. And before women were, well, I wouldn't like to say accessible, but before women were doing modeling and before photography was easily accessible and women weren't happy to pose and show their skin, uh, drawings were an amazing way to create those images. Then we started to move into the era of real ladies. So as you could tell earlier, I'm obviously really, really good at describing these pin-up paintings to you. So I'm going to try and describe to you the top 10 most famous pin-up posters that I believe everyone will know. So at number 10 is the Rita Hayworth. This is a photograph. Uh, and if you don't know Rita Hayworth, oh, of course you do. She had the waffled hair on side parting, um, mousy brown, cutesy face, Oh, you know her. Oh, and of course, double G's. Um, <laughs> let's find her picture. So, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah, it's so classic. She's sort of kneeling on the bed in this very long silk slip. And it was used for so, so many adverts. Really, well, probably was one of the top used adverts of the time. 
Rita Hayworth's famous pose in a black negligee quickly made its way across the Atlantic in 1941 as troops brought the picture with them on their way to war. It ended up as the second most popular pin-up picture in all of World War II. Hayworth, whose two brothers fought in the conflict, didn't just pose for pictures. She was also involved in selling war bonds and appealed on in many shows. She was involved in selling war bonds. Wow. Wow. Not just a pretty face. Um... Oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Hayworth's famous strawberry blonde hair was actually an act. Her real hair was jet black, but she dyed it red and even altered her hairline after she became concerned about being typecast for Hispanic roles. Oh dear, poor lady. Oh, so she uh, westernised herself. Mm, hopefully that wouldn't happen now. So at number nine, we've got a wonderful picture. Oh, I love seeing this. It's um, Ava Gardner, and you'll know this one. So she's on a chaise long, okay? These descriptions are really good, aren't they? I just want to chaise long and her belly button is facing to the inside of the chaise and she's got um, her feet pointed, obviously. A cute, I would say it's a bikini, high-waisted bikini with a bandeau Daisy Dukes top and she's got one hand in her very curled hair. Black and white, of course, so you'll know it. Um, back in the 1940s, the studio system still ruled Hollywood and actors and actresses were usually contracted exclusively to particular studios. Gardner was an MGM girl discovered by the studio at age 18 after a photograph was spotted by talent scouts. A surprise, Gardner quickly relocated to Hollywood because that's how easy it was then. If you got spotted or something, um, well, I wouldn't say easy, but that's how it was then. You know, you just had to go where the work was. Her early pin-up work was typical for the time, involving shots of her on the beach or in bathing suits. Later in her career, Gardner became a famous siren and femme fatale and switched to a less innocent image, posing in heels and long black dresses. She married Frank Sinatra in 1951, and although the marriage only lasted six years, she later said that he had been the love of her life. Aww. See, this is, you can see how excited I'm getting. She married Frank Sinatra, of course she did, because it was just that time and it was adorable. Okay, so Bomber Girls are at number eight. Oh, I love Bomber Girls. Love, love, love. As well as pin-up photos, the US Army Air Force also unofficially permitted nose art drawings of scantily clad women on the front of bombers and fighter planes as a way of boosting pilot morale. Artists, often servicemen themselves, drew their inspiration from men's magazines, popular actresses and real-life models. Unlike many pin-ups, Bomber Girls weren't just about pictures of attractive women. The female figures were often regarded as mascots or lucky talismans that would have to ensure the plane's safe return home. See, very important, it wasn't just to have a Tommy Tank over. Uh, sociologists have linked airplane nose art to the carved figureheads once found in the bow of ships, uh, which superstitious sailors regarded as a type of good luck charm. Because you mean a mermaid is very close to a pin-up. Think of a siren, the way it sat on the rock, all those shapes, very, very close to pin-up. The art form saw a resurgence in the US military during the Gulf War, but was officially banned in 1992 after complaints from feminist groups, who I think did not want to see ladies' boobies on the noses of planes. Um, which is fine because by then it was 1992 and there was probably as many female pilots as there were male. So times change and that's fine. So at number seven, we've got the Elvgren girls. Now I've decided that I'm going to call him Gil. I have decided on Gil now. So Gil Elvren's girls are coming in at number seven. Pin-up drawings were not just limited to planes. Many of the most popular pin-ups of the time were produced by commercial artists. Elvgren girls was the nickname given to pin-ups drawn by their popular artist, 
Gil Elvgren. I couldn't even make my mind up there, could I? He began his focus on pin-up art in 1937, but his long career also involved advertisements for Coca-Cola and General Electric. Oh, Coca-Cola and pin-up girls go hand in hand, don't they? I see them, definitely. So, at number six, we've got Veronica Lake, and this is a photograph, and you'll know it. She has got, she's leaning on the wheel of a plane, very seductively, in a white dress. Um, she's got the peekaboo hairstyle, which is that sort of waved one. It's not the victory rolls, but it's like, we call it now waffled. She's wearing some peep-toe shoes, and she's just showing just enough leg. Um, she's right in the middle of the photo. It's a very, very classic war one. Um, let's see what it says about her. In the 1940s, women across America sacrificed half their peripheral vision <laughs> peripheral vision to copy the hairstyle of Veronica Lake. That's so true because it, um, the way it, the bangs kind of waffle down the side of your face, it um, cuts off a lot of vision. So that's a very good way of putting it. Um, Lake's acting was praised by critics, but she gained a reputation for being difficult to work with and her career didn't last past the end of the decade. Uh, yeah, but I... Um, really like Veronica Lake because now it says she's difficult to work if I heard she just wouldn't take any shit like if people were grabbing her bum she'd be like uh no thank you so number five we've got Zoe Mozart again uh, we have briefly covered her she was the artist um she uh was modeling herself in the 20s and then she started producing hundreds of covers by herself when she was in her 30s and 40s Number four is a photo of Jane Russell with the gun. Oh, I love this one. It looks like it should be out of um, Gone with the Wind or something. So she's in a barn. She's uh, wearing a suede skirt and um, a strap. Well, it's not a strapless top, actually. It's like a blouse, but she's got one shoulder out. Mmm, naughty. It says here, Jane Russell was nicknamed the sweater girl after the garment that best emphasised her two most famous assets. I think they're boobs, guys. In fact, her debut film, The Outlaw, was almost pulled by censors who was concerned about the amount of cleavage she showed. How funny. Uh, despite her detractors, Jane Russell had a long and successful acting and pin-up career and was later known best for her part alongside Marilyn Monroe in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which is fantastic. Um, I watched Some Like It Hot yesterday and, wow, it's still brilliant. Definitely recommend it. So number three, we've got the paintings of the Vargas girls. Um, really, really classic. I've got a tea towel, actually, with a lot of those. Unlike Jill Gill, unlike Gill Evgren's work, Vargas female figures were always shown on a featureless, plain white background. Uh, while Vargas girls were clothed for the most part, they, their very thinly veiled eroticism made it possible to get into magazines like Esquire, etc. Uh, and I think as well, one of the reasons that the drawings were still popular, even when photography came in, is because people deemed photography a bit rude and a bit sexy. A photo of ladies' boobies was definitely a photo of ladies' boobies. A drawing, however, hmm, it was a bit more art. It was a bit more enjoyed by both uh, sexes as well. So that's why... Um, um, in my opinion, the artwork stuck around. Like even now, if I'm buying pin-up stuff, I'm fifty like fifty percent um, likely to buy a drawing or an illustration or a painting of a pin-up than I am a photo of an actual person. So at number two, we have got the best pin-up in the world. 
Um, and that's why she's at number two. No, my opinion is much more important than the uh, top rated. Uh, Betty Page is at number two. Betty Page um, is amazing. Uh, she is pretty much always on her knees um, with her legs apart and her hands on her knees. And I love her and she's fantastic. Betty Page rose to pin up fame only during the 50s, later than the other models on the list, which means, guys, that her pictures are in colour. Um, so she stands out a lot for me. Also, she had access to more types of makeup and things like that although her entire modeling career only lasted seven years she's probably the most enduringly popular and recognizable pinup model today her distinctive bangs a photographer thought them to hide her high forehead are still copied by young women today according to her fans Paige's unique appeal lies in her sexual smile and joyful natural appearance i love the way they've put sexual smile and natural appearance together but that's what pinup is it just sort of perfectly marries together all of it at number one, we have got Betty Grable, who is fantastic. Um, if you can't picture the most famous picture of Betty Grable where she's looking over her shoulder in the white bikini, then do look it up because these are black and white photographs and she's very much, uh, she always looked like she was at a pageant, if that makes sense. The prize for the most popular piece of pin-up art during World War II went to Betty Grable, who posed it. Here we go. Who posed in a white bathing suit and high heels, looking over her shoulder. Betty's studio, 20th Century Fox, provided five million copies of this iconic picture to distribute to troops. Her success outlasted the conflict. After the war, Grable became not only the top female box office draw, but the most highly paid woman in America, earning about three hundred thousand dollars a year. Let me say that again. Her success outlasted the conflict. After the war, Grable became not only the top female box office draw, but the most highly paid woman in America. Isn't that amazing? Um, and that, to me, is feminism. The fact that it's something that could have been um, frowned upon. It could have been women being forced to take their clothes off and being objectified or sexualized. It made her the highest earning woman. Um, and, yeah, that speaks for itself, I think. Betty's legs, prominently featured in her famous photograph, were famously insured by her studio at a million dollars each, and that's in 1940. So, one million dollars each back then, wow. That is crazy. Whether this was actually considered a wise investment or was simply a publicity uh, move by her studio is still up for debate, but we're still talking about it here, you know, 80 years later. So, wow. Go you, Betty Grable. And I also think she's um, quite understated, um... Is that the word I'm looking for? Understated? I think, yeah, I think she is. Um, people don't know how famous she is. And she she has lasted, obviously, but she's not... As, she's not... Um, well, if you think how everyone knows Marilyn Monroe, you know, most houses have got a picture of Marilyn Monroe in it somewhere. And Betty's kind of slipped through the cracks. Because Marilyn doesn't even make it into this list, uh, which I'm pleased with because I think Marilyn was the um, perhaps the most famous one, but maybe not the most influential or the most um, groundbreaking at the time. So right the way through from the Gibson girl to modern day pinups um, like Marilyn. Well, when I say modern and not current, but the sort of most modern with the most technology and the best photography and lighting, they all... Um, played a part in feminism I think and I just think they are a part of history that's really important so some types of feminists nowadays do think that pinups are objectified and they were sexualized and all those things and of course they were it's very obvious however I think they also brought women into the limelight they um, gave a woman a purpose without a man 
they these are some of the first propagandas and pictures that we saw where a woman wasn't with her husband or she wasn't doing something directly for her husband um she was fixing a bike or she was fixing a tire and yes she might have had a really low cut on cut top on while she was doing it but i don't see any problem with that also nowadays we have such an idealized type of beauty if you don't look like a kardashian um you're not considered beautiful i think it's so 2D now today's beauty. Whereas if you look at pinup girls, and when I say pinup girls, I mean not just the illustrations, the photos as well. When you look up them, they are all shapes, they are all sizes. Some have freckles, some don't. Some have chubby arms, some have flabby bottoms, some have no boobies, and some have big ones. They are a whole different types of women. You know, they even had tattoos when women weren't really supposed to have tattoos. Pinup girls were inspirational and they were actually ahead of the everyday woman and I think they inspired women to be a bit more to um be themselves to feel good to feel confident um and yeah something that started out to please men and for the walls of garages and um you know mechanics and places like that actually they became something really really important and revolutionary and women all over the world absolutely love pinups myself included um i could talk to you forever as you can tell this is a subject i'm really keen on i could talk to you about betty page all day to be honest with you but i think that that is probably enough to start with um and if anyone has any questions about pinups please let me know or if there's anything you want me to cover a little bit more um perhaps the photography side of it, um, the photos, or maybe its importance in um, the war, all sorts of things. It's just such a wide subject and I'm really, really passionate about it. So thank you so much. I have written about five pages of notes uh, to talk about during this podcast and I've talked about about half a page of it because um, I get carried away and I love pinups and I think they're wonderful. So thank you so much for joining me because otherwise I would just be waffling along to myself and nobody would be listening. So thank you so much. I've had loads of fun looking at all these pictures and if you've got any spare time, I suggest go and look up some of those names I mentioned, particularly ones that you don't think you've heard of because I can almost guarantee you when you Google that image, you will go, oh yes, of course I know it. Well, thank you so much for joining me, guys. Please join me next month for my podcast. podcast. And of course, um, don't forget to check out some of my reviews on the website. I have reviewed lots of vintage and pinup items, which I absolutely love. Have a wonderful week, guys, and I'll be back to chat with you very soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Lingerie Lowdown, the podcast. Don't forget that we release a brand new episode every Wednesday for you all to enjoy. So if you love lingerie as much as we do, make sure to catch us same time, same place next week. Don't forget to visit the website lingerielowdown.com forward slash join and use our promo code podcast to get an extra 10% off a three, six or 12 month membership today.